X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon. It's Thursday, March 18th. Today, back in the day on March 18th, 1836, a steamship named the Beaver arrived off the Oregon coast. At 100 feet long, the Beaver became the first steamship to operate in the entire Pacific Northwest. Her route took her sailing from England around Cape Horn with stops at the Juan Fernandez Islands off the coast of Chile and Honolulu. After 568 days, the Beaver finally arrived at the mouth of the Columbia River. But it would be another 23 days before she got to her ultimate destination of Fort Vancouver. It was there that she finally had her steam engine installed, making the Beaver the first steamship in the Pacific Northwest. This began a rich tradition of steamboating in the area. The Beaver went on to serve many purposes, beginning as a mobile trading post for the British-operated Hudson Bay Company. For trading was its primary business. Later, the steamship was tasked by the Royal Navy to map the British Columbia coast. In her final years, she served as a towboat. But after more than 50 years in operation, she had her last trip on July 25, 1888, when she ran aground in Vancouver, B.C. Steamboating remained the preferred transportation method in the Pacific Northwest well into the late 19th century. Ultimately, though, it would be the ascendance of the railroad that all put an end to this industry. Today, back in the day, on March 18, 1990, the largest art theft in U.S. history took place. It occurred at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, Massachusetts. Two men executed the crime. Posed as police officers, they were admitted to the museum under the guise of responding to a disturbance call. Instead, they proceeded to confine the guards and pillage the museum over the course of an hour. The works looted included pieces by Vermeer, Rembrandt, Degas, and Manet, among others. Notable among the stolen works was one of only 34 paintings by Vermeer, titled The Concert. It is thought to be the most valuable unrecovered painting in the world. Another was Rembrandt's The Storm on the Sea of Galilee, which is the infamous Dutchman's only known seascape. In total, the FBI valued the sum of those looted works at over $500 million. This museum was originally the private collection of namesake Isabella Stewart Gardner, who stipulated in her will that the display of her works never be altered, nor any pieces added or removed from her collection. Of course, no one could have seen this coming. However, in deference to Stewart's wishes and homage to those stolen works, empty frames remain hanging in the museum. To this day, the paintings remain unrecovered and little is known about the thieves or their crime. The museum is offering a $10 million reward for any information leading to the recovery of these works of art. It is the largest reward ever offered by a private institution. On today's episode of The Local, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Dan Walton from Studio Blue. First up, X-ray. it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Editor Mary Hull Caballero 
threatened that neither her nor her staff will appear before city council again after lengthy critiques from Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. Caballero addressed council, proposing a new independent police review unit separate from the oversight board voters approved in November. That oversight board, which passed under Measure 217, was the brainchild of Commissioner Hardesty. It was created as a response to the city's overwhelming cries for more police accountability. Auditor Caballero opposes it, and this new proposed unit would remain in her office while the one voters approved for would be independent. Commissioner Hardesty expressed that she sees this as an effort to maintain the auditor office budget, which is subject to cuts, as all city bureaus are. Here is Hardesty's response. I am just (laughs) pretty much disgusted uh, that we have an auditor that refuses to manage the public finance system that should never be an independent um, uh, commissioner or mayor's portfolio. We have an auditor who's absolutely refused to do administrative uh, 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 court hearings um, because she has elected to withdraw her consent to do so. I have, I have not heard anyone ask for this new imagined program that has no teeth, no death, and quite frankly, no one asked for it. Auditor Caballero did not respond during the meeting, but did send an email Monday morning explaining that Commissioner Hardesty's comments were unprofessional. She wrote, quote, anyone who appears before counsel should have an expectation that they will get a fair hearing and be treated with respect. That norm is no longer viable, so as long as any one council member can distort the proceedings with tactics intended to shut down debate and attempt to intimidate anyone who may disagree with them. Commissioner Hardesty responded by stating it is her duty as an elected official to express her opinion and ask the hard questions. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. On Wednesday, Oregon Health Authority confirmed 239 coronavirus cases and three new COVID-related deaths. To date, 2,349 Oregonians have died from the virus. Currently, 108 people are hospitalized with the virus. Yesterday, the Oregon Health Authority announced that on May 1st, the general population will be eligible for a vaccine. This corresponds with promises from the Biden administration. However, Oregon Governor Brown has been hesitant to confirm the same timeline timeline for our state. She first wanted to ensure the shipments of vaccines would arrive as promised, contrary to what occurred during the first vaccine shipments. Oregon Health Authority director explained they are considering opening up vaccinations earlier to frontline workers, effectively pushing up the vaccination timeline. He said he expects vaccine shipments to double, saying, quote, at that point, you find it at your local health care provider's office. You find it at your local pharmacy and more quantities than it is now. Oregon residents shouldn't expect to be vaccinated on May 1st, but you will be able to apply for an appointment that day. Montevilla becomes even dreamier with its new food cart pod. 17 new food carts will become part of the neighborhood mid-May. The carts will feature cuisine like classic shawarmas, burgers, crepes, and more. Scout Beer, who closed their taproom and brewery earlier this year, will have a 12-tap cart. One of those taps, Scout told Eater Portland, may feature White Claw. The pod will be on the corner of Northeast 82nd and Davis. Brothers Jeffrey and Kevin Dennis are backing the project, stating they wanted to try something that would help the community. 
They said, quote, I love the food cart pods. I love how they provide 17 businesses with opportunities to succeed. They're great for the community and the neighborhood. The yard at Montevilla will open mid-May at 8220 Northeast Davis Street. Oregon lawmakers are considering the Menstrual Dignity Act, which would require public schools in the state to provide free menstrual products in bathrooms. This would cover all public schools, colleges, and education service districts. According to House Bill 3294, schools would be required to install at least two dispensers in bathrooms by July of 2022. The amendment would also require dispensers in gender-neutral bathrooms. Several students, teachers, and lawmakers spoke before the legislature on Tuesday in support of the bill, which has 15 sponsors. Many of them extolled several of the counties that already provide menstrual products, including Tiger Tualatin, Eugene, and Corvallis. The amendment would be funded using money from the Oregon Department of Education. A similar bill failed in committee in 2019. Two other bills would also address menstrual rights in the state. Senate Bill 717 would provide $10 per month to those who receive SNAP benefits to be used for the purchase of feminine hygiene products. Senate Bill 521 would exempt businesses from paying a commercial activity tax on feminine hygiene products, plus diapers, formula, and prescription drugs. The Blazers are back in action tonight, facing the New Orleans Pelicans for the second game in a row. Rip City hopes to build on momentum from Tuesday night's comeback against the Pels 125-124. It was an exciting last four seconds. The Blazers were down 17 with six minutes left before surging on a 25-7 run to end the game. Dame Lillard scored seven of his 50, 50 points, 50 points in, a, in the final minute, including the game-winning free throws with 1.2 seconds left. Dame now ranks seventh on the all-time list for the most 50-point games in his career with 12. C.J. McCollum added 10 points in his first game back after missing two months with a broken foot. The Blazers sit in sixth place in the West and hope to keep climbing. The Pelicans are in 11th place on the outside looking in on the playoff picture as the second half of the season continues. Everyone that suited up on Tuesday will be back in action tonight. Tip-off is at 7 p.m. at the Moda Center. And some good news. Portland was named one of the top 10 cities to live in after the pandemic. This was according to Stefani Birkin, president of R New York, one of the largest real estate companies in New York City. On the Today Show, she brought up some of the key things that stand out for Portland, including no sales tax, environmental consciousness, a laid-back attitude, the millennial population, and of course, the coffee. The pandemic and the changing nature of the job sector has led people to consider other things when thinking about where to live, you know, like the overall quality of life and amount of space. This is a positive view of the city that contrasts some of the more negative portrayals in the media amidst last summer's protests and forest fires. Some of the other cities she listed were Des Moines, Iowa, and Boulder, Colorado. But we all know which one's the best of those. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. How's your wellness going? Here are Dan Walton from Studio Blue and X-Ray's Julia Oppenheimer and Andy Lindbergh. With a focus on keeping 
his business going, and supporting the community to stay well amidst daily challenges and distancing. Here are Dan, Julia, and Andy. You are listening to X-Ray in the Morning with Andy and Julia, and we are joined now by Dan Walton, the founder of Studio Blue. The pandemic has been very hard on everyone, but it's been particularly challenging for small businesses. Dan's going to tell us a little bit about the year he's had. Good morning, Dan. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Can you uh, start out by just telling us what is Studio Blue? Yeah, Studio Blue is um, a Pilates wellness center. We opened in 2007, so we've been around for about 14 years. And we've seen a lot over 14 years, uh, not only a pandemic, but uh, a big recession and economy crash. Um, But we started out with doing Pilates and massage and kind of athletic Pilates, rehabilitative Pilates, and now we've branched into aesthetics, acupuncture. We still do massage, just have quite a bit more of it, um, and have two floors at a studio in uh, northwest Portland. Cool. So you you mentioned you've weathered other storms, like the like the recession. Um, yes. How much <laughs> how much different was it weathering the pandemic? You know, a lot of people ask that. You know, how is this different in this? You know, we we knew we had a big you know, community and a lot of support, friends and clients and our staff. But this, you know, it was a lot different and a lot harder. I mean, a lot of times when you open a business, you know, you're open and there isn't a time where you close. (laughs) So, you know, having this and then, you know, seeing it coming, seeing the pandemic coming, looking at what the East Coast was doing, talking to friends on the East Coast that had fitness studios out there, um, and really having to get ready for, you know, what looked like this just kind of big wave coming towards you. Um, you know, there's not many times in business where you, you, you shut your doors, you know, and you shut your mm-hmm. doors for, you know, we were closed for about three months. Um, but getting ready for it, we decided, you know, we could do virtual and go into live streaming and start to create a video library and kind of get ahead of it. So we started kind of switching over to live streaming and, started doing a video library or kind of creating a video library um, about a week and a half before uh, the governor shut down the state. So, you know, you could kind of see what was coming and we we tried to get ahead of it a little bit. Um, And that, like the virtual realm has kind of been our saving grace through all of this. Um, I think it's one of the biggest ways we've been able to survive and also be able to still connect with people. Yeah, that's a really neat concept because like a restaurant can't go virtual. But no, <laughs> it's it's neat that you saw that opportunity and said, oh, we can just move online. How hard yeah. was that to pivot that it, way? How hard was it? Yeah, it was pretty challenging in the beginning. Um, you know, the weight lines, it's like if you've if you've done any kind of, you know, fitness class anywhere in the world, mind body online is like the main um, you know, uh, support, or the main thing you schedule through, and, and they're amazing, but, you know, every studio was doing this. You know, we were all kind of in the same boat. I mean, you would get, you'd be on hold for two and a half hours, and, you know, then you get, on, get them on the phone, and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, get not only live streaming up, but get the videos and the microphones and, um, and get everything kind of seamlessly mm-hmm. um, uh, back at the end uh, done so your you know your clients have the least amount of impact um the teaching online like our teachers you know a lot of them have been with us for 10 plus years that was easy i mean that they were all amazing teaching online has been really easy and like you know there's 
there's quirks to it and you get used to it. But that, that was kind of the easy part. Getting it set up was, um, you know, probably a week of 14 hour, you know, 14 hour days. <laughs> sure. It's like new technology. And one Definitely. thing I heard, um, I heard you mention the other day was that, you know, in, in the past, a teacher would be sort of walking throughout the class, maybe adjusting people, maybe talking them through the next move, but not actually participating now you're doing every class that you're teaching. Is that correct? Yeah, we have to do it all. So, <laughs> so. are you in way better shape? <laughs> I mean, we're, yeah, we're in way better Pilates shape. You know, it's funny. People are like, oh, you teach eight hours of Pilates a day. Like, you must be in, like, wicked good shape. And you're like, no, we just talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, now we have, to, we have to demo the whole class. And, like, a lot of, and a lot of people I've talked to in the community or fitness world, you know, uh, in the beginning, when you first start teaching, you end up demoing a lot because you're not necessarily as good with your words. And then, you know, you get better with your words and you can walk around and cue people and, you know, correct people. So you don't end up doing the full hour. But now it's like we're doing the full hour and talking to people online and talking to people in the studio and wearing masks. So, mm. yeah, I think we're... I think we're definitely all in better shape because of it. Definitely better Pilates shape. <laughs> you are the one group of people who are coming out of the pandemic in better shape than you went into it, I would say. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so there's, you know, that's that's one silver lining. And you're like, oh, wow, this is this stuff is really hard. And, like, we all have, like, our own self-practices. And, we, you know, we take classes. But having to talk through a class while doing it, you know, doing it and not sounding winded is definitely different. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Dan, this is this is Andy. As as I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm I'm wondering have have you changed the way that you teach uh, so that you can better connect to people through a screen? Yeah, I mean, um, nice to meet Andy. Um, you know, you just have to be really good with your you know words. I mean, even if you you know if people have their video on. Um, you know, when we're on our mat, it's, you know, unless you have a really big screen, it's still kind of hard to see people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to really, really be good at educating people on how to feel their body, what to feel and what not to feel. So really giving them ownership and the tools to figure out, you know, how do I do this move? And what's what's the essence of it? What's the feeling I'm supposed to be feeling? And if I, and you know, and if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. You know, the biggest thing is giving them ownership of their bodies and um, um, and teaching them what to feel and what not to feel. So, hmm. you know, really giving them the power, you know, and we're just kind of a guide. Um, and just being really positive and encouraging. You know, there's, there's been a lot of heartache and, um, over the last year. So just trying to be, you know, positive and encouraging and, um, you know, and just get, getting people to move. And, you know, it's like if this is hard, that's okay. And if you need hmm. to take a break, take a break. It's okay. Nice. Um, but just getting people to show up and, um, you know, there is, we, we've had a couple events where we'll do like little virtual events where people can, you know, uh, take a class and then we'll, you know, we'll talk after like workshops or we did a virtual retreat and that's kind of fun because people can interact a little bit more than, you know, the regular classes where, you know, people are working and then they, you know, they show up online and then they have to go back to work. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Do you think people, do you have more people taking your classes now than you did when they were in person or less or the same or how do you feel like that's changed definitely in the beginning definitely I mean we were having I mean I feel like the classes like tripled in size in the beginning but but I've talked to a lot of different people in the fitness industry and I feel like in the first couple months there was this big you know huge push towards virtual and 
everyone was loving it. And then I think it settled in like after the first two or three months, like, oh, wow, this isn't going to go away for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe people started to get outside more. And, you know, they've kind of leveled off at a, a nice place where we can still um, run the classes. But if we didn't have virtual, we definitely, you know, the, w- with having to social distance at the studio, you know, we can only fit six people um, here mm-hmm. live in the studio. So having the virtual, you know, there's there's still a good amount of people taking it. So it it definitely is um, helping keep our MAP program alive. So yeah, Multnomah County is opening back up slowly. On Friday, we're moving into the moderate risk category, which is mm-hmm. like half capacity. I know. It's um, so good. <laughs> will you will you continue to do virtual as the uh, once you know as things go back to quote unquote? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like virtual, we don't foresee virtual going away, I mean, anytime soon, mainly because we have like, we have a video library now with like 250 plus videos, which is super fun. And, and the virtual, like my, my mom takes class. Every class I teach, my mom gets to take Hmm. class now. She's in Connecticut. My dad's taking class. He's in Connecticut. People from like other countries that we've gotten to meet on retreats have taken classes in California and Alaska. Like it's, it's really opened up so much, um, more in terms of like you know growing our community or or being able to you know just connect with people more you know we get to connect with people that don't live in Portland which is awesome I think it's so so cool to hear you say that because I think in this year um so many of us have felt so disconnected and so far away from other people that it's really neat to hear of a scenario where everyone kind of you know got more connected and it's thanks to zoom but it's also you know, not just Zoom, because no one's just going to sit on a Zoom call with 10 people every day. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. Well, and, you know, and our clients have mentioned a lot, like, they're so grateful for us um, that they have something to show up to. But for us, too, like, we we had something, you know, once a week or twice a week where we were still teaching something virtually where we had to show up for them, which, you know, in March, April, May, it, that was everything. I mean, that kept us going. You just emotionally, mentally, um, you know, not even just um, with the business monetarily, but um, on, on a much deeper level. Well, it's it's so pleasing to to hear you talk about the um, benefits to to your community to to your business from from these changes that you've made. Um, and uh, sounds like you're going to to stick with uh, some of these things going forward. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We don't have any plan. I mean, the the mat classes will stay virtual. You know, we'll keep the video library forever now. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of our desk, we've you know, we were always open seven days a week, and we had like 40 classes a week. And now we have like maybe 12 classes a week. Um, hmm. And then we'll probably stay like that for a little bit until you know the the people feel more comfortable coming back. But, um, you know, a lot of our desk has gone virtual. We have someone here at the studio in the mornings, um, you know, maybe three or four hours a day. But, you know, the phones can forward um, to my my business partner, Jen, uh, uh, takes pretty much uh, care of that. And then, you know, we both virtually check email. So it's been really nice that we don't need as much kind of back of the house support as I think we used to, Um, you know, and and that'll probably stay like that for a little bit. And it's, it's you know, been nice knowing we can do that virtually as well. And, you know, and I've been teaching for 15 years. So it's like I can, even privately, I've been able to teach virtually. So if I go on vacation, 
you know, if I want to work a couple hours in the morning, I can still work. You know, when I, I you know, last time I was on the East Coast seeing my family, um, I was able to teach virtually. You know, I was able to still do a mat class, which which has been really, you know, kind of cool. Um, it's opened up some other um, good possibilities. And taking workshops, like, with colleagues that, you know, these workshops are continuing education where you always had to go somewhere or fly somewhere or, you know, go somewhere physically, you know, we've been able to do it virtually, which, which is great, you know, so. It's always nice when, when technology really does make our lives better. Totally. Yeah, because it's not always the case. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In this, this, this case, it does. <laughs> and I think it's really, uh, it's really important to be hearing the positive stories of, like, how businesses have, have created positive change during this time and become more successful. And we hear so much about how many people are going out of business and how, yeah. Uh, hard this has been it, it's really it's wonderful to hear yeah. a warm fuzzy feeling a warm fuzzy story mm-hmm. yeah and the and the business community itself like the Pilates community w- when things first started to shut down so many different um, business owners reached out even some that I'd never you know met in person we ended up going for a walk and chatting on the phone for 30 minutes and just the, the Portland Pilates community was really really sim- uh, supportive of each other um, I, I think we're in a really special city um, to have a small business. Well, Dan Walton is the founder of Studio Blue, a wellness studio in Northwest Portland. How can folks uh, find out more about Studio Blue? Uh, you can go to studioblue.pdx.com, or you can call us five zero three two two four five zero seven three. All right. Thank you, Dan, so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Andy, and to nice you. to hear your voice, Julia. Thanks, Dan. We'll see you soon. Thanks to Dan for joining The Local, and also thanks to Sam and Carlos, our lead writers for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and giving us a five-star review. Thanks for sharing it with friends. And thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.